The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So in uh, the last little while, I've been exploring the Buddhist teachings on the Four Noble Truths. And these teachings um, are some of the most basic and yet profound in what the Buddhist teachings offer. Basically, it's a it's an, a description and understanding of that. Basically, we could we could frame it this way: that human beings experience suffering, and that understanding that suffering is a really helpful direction to understand how it might release the understanding, as we begin to understand something about the suffering, we recognize that, um, and the Buddha pointed us to the fact that a a kind of a habit of mind called craving, wanting things to be a certain way, a kind of a reaching out, a holding on to, a needing things to be a certain way. This This isn't just a simple desire that we're talking about because desire desire itself is actually neutral it can be kind of motivated by love desire can be motivated by compassion and love to uh, to change the world in beautiful ways and desire can be motivated by hatred and aversion and greed and so the the craving is a kind of a desire that's infused with greed and aversion and delusion of a desire that's that has a kind of a, a neediness to it, a, a sense that things have to be a certain way in order for me to be okay. And um, you know the fact, that, and, and basically that we think something outside of us has to change. Often the craving has to do with wanting to change something in the world or wanting to fix something, thinking that if that thing is not changed or fixed, then there's no way for me to be okay. That my okayness depends on something else being different in the world. And so the, the Buddha pointed to that that kind of view or that kind of movement, that that craving, is basically a misunderstanding of where happiness can be found. And it's really good news, actually, that our happiness is not reliant on changing the world because our ability to change the world is limited at best. And so this, again, this is not to say that taking action in the world is not helpful and not wholesome. As I said a few minutes ago, you know, action, desire can be motivated by love, can be motivated by wisdom, can be motivated by compassion. And so seeing, for instance, injustice in the world, seeing seeing harm being created in the world, we can, from a movement of compassion, want to do something about that. 
And so this, this movement to change the world is not necessarily motivated by this craving. And yet the, the craving is, is kind of hanging our happiness or hanging our, maybe happiness isn't even quite the right word because happiness, happiness kind of maybe comes with some ideas and beliefs about what happiness means. I mean, how can we really be happy in a way? I mean, the one way we, could, we, we might frame this in our minds is how can I be happy when there's so much suffering in the world, when, when children are being taken from their parents at the border? How can I be happy when that's happening? And yet the happiness that the Buddha is talking about is not a conventional kind of happiness. And so the, the, the possibility of having, maybe we could say, a heart that has some measure of ease, a heart that is peaceful. And yet that, again, the, 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 the framing of peace as being what is possible, that we can be at peace even with things going on in the world that are are unethical and harmful to, to others. How can I be at peace with that? Again, the peace, are, are often our, maybe our definition of peace is something like, well, peace means that I don't need to do anything. That's not my understanding of the definition of a peaceful heart. You know, the, the heart that is, maybe we could even say the, the heart that is not constricted, the heart that is not bound, the heart that's not tight and squeezed, has more of a sense of resonating in the world rather than being uh, broken or shaken by the world. And so the, the peaceful heart in my, in my own kind of touching into that heart that's not constricted, what I, I see isn't the movement to just sit, sit here and, oh, that's happening? Oh, that's things as they are. But, the, but rather, with the heart that is unconstricted, there is more of a movement to act in the world, but action coming from compassion rather than from hatred. And so this is this, um, possibility of the third noble truth. The second, the first noble truth is there is suffering. The second noble truth is that suffering comes with this craving. That what we call uh, what we call suffering, um, sometimes what we think of as suffering is just simply unpleasant experience, and that isn't what this is pointing to either suffering suffering is a big word it uh, it often is used to mean like the major sufferings in our life in English the word is a big word suffering but in the Buddhist terms the the word translated as suffering dukkha encompasses from the subtlest kind of off feeling like oh, wish things were different oh, doesn't feel quite right just a kind of a an agitation in the mind or a subtle sense of unease all the way through the, the major kinds of, of suffering that we experience. The loss of a partner or a child. So the, uh, the suffering isn't the unpleasantness per se or isn't the fact that we have lost 
Loss is a fact of life. And so this teaching of freedom from suffering doesn't mean freedom from loss. It doesn't mean freedom from unpleasant experience. But it does point to this peaceful heart that has more of a motivation from compassion and wisdom and love. A a movement to act in the world from beautiful energies rather than constricted energies. And so this, uh, the third noble truth points to the possibility that understanding suffering, seeing that suffering is created by this constricting mental quality of craving, that we start to see that this craving itself is, is constructed in our minds. It's very conditioned, really, really conditioned. It's conditioned by, by our own experience. It's conditioned by our culture. It's conditioned by our families. We tend to believe, based on not only our own experience, but what we're told, that getting what we want, this, this movement towards having what we want and believing that that's where happiness will be found, That's the message we get. And so kind of turning to the possibility of maybe there's another way takes something of a leap of faith. But the Buddha in his own journey is said to have seen this craving so clearly and understood how it's put together and how it can fall apart. And that the falling apart of it, that release from the craving is a release from that suffering. That with the the arising of craving is the arising of suffering. With the ending of craving is the ending of suffering. And that this is possible. He said he found this to be possible in his own experience and saw that what was putting that suffering together was just simple, ordinary, human functions of mind that kind of we all share and of patterns, habits. You know, we have some conditioned conditioning that comes in through our culture, but also just some kind of um, conditioning that's um, coming from being in a human body. And, and, and yet our conditioning in a human body, it, it may seem like that's got to be um, hardwired, and yet it's not. And so this, he saw in his own mind, it's not hardwired that we have to suffer when something unpleasant is happening in the world. There can be this ease of heart. And so the, he discovered this possibility himself and said, it's also possible for us. If we understand suffering for ourselves, if we understand this craving for ourselves, the understanding begins to kind of weaken the power of that habit. And so he offered a path. He offered the, the fourth noble truth, the eightfold path to, that will create the conditions. It's a kind of craving is created by conditions, conditions of our own experience, what we've, what we've come ac- across in our own life, conditions of our families, conditions of our cultures. So craving is created from conditioned experience. And so he discovered that there are conditions that can be introduced into our, um, into our lives. 
And the first, the first condition actually is hearing some of this. You know, so hearing some of this teaching, hearing some of this understanding. There are conditions that can be introduced that can change the course, reshape our minds, basically. Recondition our minds in a completely new way so that we are not um, beholden to our conditioning to date, that we're not beholden to what we have learned so far. And so this is kind of a summary of, of the Four Noble Truths. And today, I'd really like to go into this um, part about craving being conditioned. The, what, what happens there? Something of the understanding that the Buddha found of how suffering is put together. So the second noble truth is described. So this is really a kind of elaboration a little bit on the second noble truth. The second noble truth in some ways is described with the arising of craving is the arising of suffering. And that's a pretty succinct statement. And then associated with that, what I talked about before I, I went away for a while, um, the, the last time I talked about this in this group, the... Um, the kind of the learning or the action associated with that. Each of the Four Noble Truths also has an action. We're encouraged to understand suffering and we're encouraged to release or let go of this craving. And yet it is so deeply conditioned that we need to kind of understand something about it, the first noble truth. You need to understand something about the suffering and the craving. In order for the mind to, beginning, to begin to be willing to explore that maybe letting go of craving would be a good idea. Because we are so, we are so like hooked to that pattern, that habit of craving is a good idea. That's the only, that's the way we've been happy. You know, that's how we've, we've gotten through life often is through that, get what I want. I get some moment of, of that feels good. And that's basically where we found our moments of happiness. And so it's very deeply conditioned in us. And so that, that statement of the, the second noble truth, the, with the arising of craving is the arising of suffering and craving should be let go of. And the Buddha offered, that's, that's what was in the, in the second noble truth, but there's another teaching that really is kind of the Buddha's own elaboration of the second noble truth. So kind of a more detailed description of how this conditioned, how craving is conditioned, what happens there. And the, this, this teaching, it's, it's got a kind of a heady name. It's called dependent origination or dependent co-arising. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a really, it's kind of a, a complex teaching in some ways. It's got 12 parts to it, so it, there's a lot to it. I'm not going to try to go through all 12 parts today, actually. I, I thought I'd do this over a couple of days, a couple of talks. Um, and so uh, I'll just give a little bit of an overview and, and touch on a couple of the, a few of the, of the links today. Um, but he basically, in this description, independent co-arising, what this is describing is the arising of suffering. 
This, this teaching is a description of how suffering comes to be. And craving is a very kind of central part of that teaching. What is it that leads to craving? So this is what I'd like to explore today. Um, so the, um, this teaching is a very clear description of how suffering comes to be. It's also interestingly, interestingly to me at least, the, that this same description of how um, suffering comes to be. So we might, we might in our experience be noticing that we're struggling, we're suffering, we're angry or confused or bewildered or um, frustrated or irritated. And so that's, that's suffering. Sometimes it's interesting that, you know, again, because of the word suffering, people think it might be bigger. But anytime we're even like a a little bit impatient as we open a drawer and it sticks a little bit, that's a form of suffering. When we get enraged when we're on the freeway and somebody cuts us off, that's suffering too. And so we can see suffering in our minds. And the Buddhist description of this kind of points to how this arises in our mind and, and, and points to it's valuable to witness it, to see it, to, to understand it, so to learn, to learn about it. And so in our mindfulness practice, we, we start recognizing these moments. So the letting go of suffering doesn't mean, oh, I'm ir- experiencing irritation while I'm opening the drawer. It means I should stop being irritated. Well, good luck with that. I mean what we can do is notice the irritation. What we can do is notice the rage and begin to understand how it's, what it's doing in our system, how it's functioning. And so this, this uh, teaching begins to explore some of that. The description of this cycle it's a it's a i keep going this gesture it's because the teaching of dependent origination can be understood as a as a cycle that uh, and i'll i'll say the links right now basically it it's um it starts with ignorance basically not understanding this ignorance is not understanding suffering not understanding what it is about how it comes to be. So ignorance is the first link. And then from that, there's um, mental formations, which is ideas, thoughts, views, emotions, beliefs that are shaped by that ignorance. And then consciousness um, and um, following that are mind and body. So these are a little, these are ones I'm not going to try to go into detail today. I'm going to talk about some of the more obvious ones today. But then because we have a mind and body, there's um, our senses. We have our senses. So that's the, the next link, our sense, sense bases. And then from there, there's contact with those sense bases. There's sight, sound, smell, taste, touch. And for each of those contacts, there's feeling, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, reliant on feeling often. This is, this is one place where the craving really kind of springs from. Based on pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, we tend to want more of the pleasant, crave more of the pleasant, crave to get rid of the unpleasant. And so this is where craving begins to come in. So feeling, 
tends to condition craving. Craving tends to condition clinging, which is more of a... Craving is kind of like the reaching out for, oh yeah, that's what I need, and the, the clinging is, got it, I've got it now. That's the next link, then clinging. And then the next one is a little um, funny, that the term is becoming, which is basically, in my understanding, it's kind of like identities or... So when we, we cling to something, it's not only the, the clinging, there's some kind of identity that comes, comes with that. So this is my glass. And so it's not just that, that there's the having of it, there's an ownership. There's a, a kind of a, an identity that comes with this, uh, this clinging. And then... Um, with that identity, the next thing is a full-blown birth into uh, I am, some kind of a, I am the one who has this glass. And so there's, some of these have kind of shadings to them. Um, just kind of like, again, the craving leads to clinging is just a shading and intensification in effect. And becoming to the full-blown identification, which in this, ter- uh, in this case is termed birth, birth into a, a sense of self. Um, there's kind of a shading there as well. It's an intensification of that. And then from that birth into a sense of self, there is going to be based on the impermanent, unreliable nature of all experience that um, is going to lead to aging and decay death, basically, which is suffering. So the Buddha says from there, this is, the, this is the entire mass of suffering is created from this. And so it's a description of not only the, what we think of as suffering, but also what we um, might call identities. How we identify with things, so a sense of self. And so this very same process at work, and sometimes we feel a sense of, of that I amness and a real sense of self and other. Sometimes that's a, a part of what we're knowing, a part of, you know, maybe it's much more of a sense of me and them that's happening than a sense of, of, of suffering, but that clear sense of, yeah, they are doing that to me that sense of self may be what is most predominant or what is, is kind of available to be investigated or be curious about. And so the, the teaching here is it's the same process. It's the same process at work. And so if you're noticing some kind of suffering, whether obvious or um, subtle, this teaching points to that points to understanding something about it. And likewise, if you're experiencing some kind of strong identification, this teaching um, points to something about it. So the, one of, the couple of pieces around this teaching that I, I named the, that, those links, um, starting with ignorance. Ignorance to mental formations, conditions consciousness and mind and body, conditions of sense spaces seeing, smelling, hearing, tasting, touching in the mind, conditions contact with the sense base, conditions feeling, conditions craving, conditions clinging, conditions becoming, birth, aging and death, the entire mass of suffering. And then it's understood that the suffering itself, when not understood, 
leads back to more ignorance. And so we're right, you know, it's like this cycle kind of reinforces itself when we're not curious about understanding it. But the good news is that there are many places where the, the teachings point to understanding some part of this. And there's some key places that are useful to understand. In particular, this kind of shift from feeling to craving is a really useful one to to understand and that's kind of where I'm going to center today the the discussion really useful to begin to understand that how that works and what happens there but any place you can notice what's going on any place you know any part of this cycle the understanding there can lead to a, a reshaping or a shifting of the habits that are going on. Because this, this cycle is essentially fueled by habit and conditioning. It's not hardwired, which is really great news. We're not hardwired to, to suffer in this way. We're not hardwired to, to do this. It's just been deeply conditioned. And so we have to respect that conditioning because it is so deep. We have to respect that conditioning and be curious about it. But the the learning, as we begin to learn something about this cycle, that is a a new condition. The learning, the understanding that's developed as we are curious about looking at our minds to understand craving, that itself is a new condition that changes the dynamic. Because the, the whole cycle... You know, it starts with ignorance. This whole cycle depends on ignorance. And when we introduce mindfulness and curiosity, that begins to weaken that kind of linchpin. And the, the cycle can take us in a different direction. So I want to start this exploration uh, of some of the links here by um, by starting kind of in the middle. I just pointed to kind of ignorance is the linchpin. And yet it's a little bit easier to understand how this works if we start with what's obvious and what's kind of accessible in our experience. And that is basically our senses. We know that we see and hear and smell and taste and touch. And this is one of these links, the six sense bases. And with each of these sense bases, the eye, the ear, the nose, the tongue, the skin, and the mind is a sixth sense in the Buddhist psychology, there is um, contact. So when our eyes are open, light waves contact the eye, the retina. When the ears are functioning, sound waves impinge on the ear. And that's contact, that kind of impingement, that when our eyes are open, light waves are are contacting the eye. Sense impression, the coolness of the air is contacting the skin, the contact of the clothes, that's contact. So that's that's contact. In the mind, the mind is an interesting one. It's a little more... um, maybe a little harder to to touch into. Um, Like with the eye, 
there's a clear um, kind of sense of the I being something uh, as a receiver almost. The I is a receiver of light waves. The eye doesn't produce the light waves. It receives them. Likewise with the hearing. The ear doesn't produce the sound waves. It, it receives them. And so our physical senses are more receivers. They don't produce what they come in contact with. In the mind, it's a little different because the mind both produces and receives what it experiences. So the mind, you know, the, the, the mind receives, I mean, so like um, we experience some emotion, the a feeling of joy or confusion or irritation. That is both produced by the mind and known by the mind. And so this is, this, this is part of the reason I think why the mind is so key in our understanding. Because the, that it is produced by the mind is a lot of what this cycle describes. How, in particular, suffering is produced by the mind. Independence on other things. But basically what, what's going on is there's, there's this mental formation going on. And so the, the, the mind as a, as a sense base, like the eye is a sense base, the mind receives what's going on. But, but the mind is also kind of the producer of what's going on. So that's just something to keep in mind as we, as we continue discussing this. There's a lot that could be explored there. And so with the, um, the contact then, and so there's the sense bases, there's the eye, the ear, the nose, the tongue, the mouth, the touch sense in the mind. Um, the contact in the mind is that kind of that recognition or the, the receiving of something that's been produced by the mind. So the, there's the, the, um, the experience of anger or confusion or love or joy. And then there's the knowing of it. And like there's the, you know, the light waves that come and then there's the sight that happens. So I think that I'll leave it there for now. So there's contact with each of the sense bases. And in each of these contacts, so this is the, so six sense bases, condition, contact, two of the links, and contact conditions feeling. This feeling tone, not feeling emotion here, but the word in Pali uh, is Vedna. And it basically is a very simple kind of um, valence almost. Something's pleasant, unpleasant, or neither pleasant nor unpleasant, sometimes neutral. So all sense experience has this quality to it. Everything that we experience. Every sight, every sound, every smell, every taste, every touch. Every arising in the mind has a, uh, a feeling tone to it. We often don't really notice this. Sometimes it's kind of subtle. But sometimes it can be really obvious. You know, if it's, if it's um, you know, the neutral feeling tone or the neither pleasant nor unpleasant feeling tone can be pretty subtle. And often we just don't even notice those. 
So like, you know, walking outside, perhaps there's a, a sense of the pleasantness of seeing the green against the blue of the sky. That might be pleasant. But, you know, the, the pavement, uh, that's probably pretty neutral. If we actually start looking at the pavement, we might think it's unpleasant. If we start seeing like stains or spots or cracks or something, there might be a, the unpleasant quality. So everything, even things arising in the mind. So all of our physical senses and things arising in the mind. So generally something like anger is experienced as unpleasant. Something like love is experienced as pleasant. Something like ease has more of a neutral quality to it. It's almost, it can be very pleasant, but it's almost pleasant because it's not unpleasant. So, you know, so it's got that quality of not unpleasant. So there's this feeling tone that happens with every sense experience. And based on that feeling tone, in a very, you know, again, this is, this is where craving begins to come in. In a very kind of conditioned way, our habit, our habit with feeling tone is that we tend to like what's pleasant and want more of it. And we tend to not like what's unpleasant and want to get rid of it. And we tend to space out or not even notice what's neutral. So that can often be a place where just mindfulness doesn't even come. It's kind of just kind of we lose mindfulness in that place. Boredom is a great example of this. You know, it's like not much going on. Mind gets bored and the mind spaces out. So in a very natural way, and the, 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 the conditioning here around feeling leading to craving. And this is really where some of the conditioning comes in. Because this is a place where it's described in the, in the teachings that feeling does not have to lead to craving. And that can be a little mind-blowing for us to think about that I can experience pleasant and not like, like it or want it. So even liking is, is, is in the direction. And liking isn't a bad thing at all, but you know, that it's, it's, it's leaning towards. We tend to like, and then because of that liking, it's like, yeah, ooh, liking good. Let's go for that. And that's where it becomes craving. And so the conditions that support that are varied, and deep. So I think the deepest, kind of the deepest conditions that move us from feeling to craving are kind of evolutionary. You know, some of the, the way in which all of evolution has, has unfolded, even the smallest single-celled creatures will move towards nourishment and away from noxious chemicals, moving towards what's pleasant, away from what's unpleasant probably ignoring what's neutral, not relevant to life. And in the, the single-celled creature world, this is a, an automatic kind of response. There's not a choice there. And in our, so this is, this is where we come from, essentially, this, this kind of 
evolution where, you know, pleasant tends to be associated and um, in a way is supportive. So when we eat, you know, when we, we eat food, it, it takes away the unpleasantness of hunger. There's a pleasantness of the, f- the taste. There's the, the pleasantness of feeling the hunger go away. And so this is, again, this is very deeply um, conditioned. And I'm not suggesting you not eat, by the way. <laughs> this, is, this is, again, this is um, uh, the, the, the craving piece is not about, um, or it's, it's really about the, the kind of movement to um, think we're not okay in a situation, that, that, that I cannot be okay in a situation unless something changes. You know, there are these, these boys in Thailand that have been trapped in this cave for a couple of weeks now, I think, and they just were found. The divers found them. And the first thing they said was, food, <laughs> you know, food, can you bring some food? And I think they are getting them some food. Um, and yet, the, you know, the, they survived they survived for 13 days. And so the, the, the mind can have some... E- I mean, these are the conditions, you know, trapped in a cave. These are the conditions. Can, I, can, I, can there be the possibility of a heart that has some measure of ease around the conditions... This is pretty extreme, right? This is extreme. Can the heart be okay around that? Or is the heart lashing and flailing? I need food. I, I'm not going to be... I, 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 I can't. I can't. I, I'm, I'm going to just... If the heart is doing that in a situation where there's nothing that can be done about it, it's like that is craving. So the of course there's that that movement to want to nourish the body. That comes from wisdom. That comes from compassion. And yet there can be some ease. The heart can be at ease in that situation. Amazingly, I think it is possible for the heart to be at ease in that situation. And recognize actually that if I am... You know, so you're trapped. It, it looked like a pretty small space, those 13 boys and I think one adult were, were trapped in. It's like if they're all yelling at each other, it's like this makes the whole situation way more painful. So the, this, 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 this is part of how this cycle perpetuates itself. You know, that, so there's that, that neediness around the, the nourishing oneself in that situation and maybe anger and yelling at each other and, and maybe fighting and, and that doesn't contribute to the survival of, of all of them. So the, the I, I don't know what, what happened. They actually looked like they were pretty peaceful in there when, when the, 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 the video that I saw. And so maybe they had come to some measure of, of, um, okayness in that time. And so this, this shift from 
feeling to craving, some of it is very, very, very deep. And also, and so some of it is like, you know, the survival of the body. You know, the, 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 as soon as a baby is born, it cries because it, it wants food and it wants warmth. You know, this is, this is, this is, this is natural. And also from our own experience, this is conditioned. And so these are the deepest levels. These are the ones that are the, the most uh, sticky. And so it's useful to recognize these are human. These are human movements. And they, uh, they'll probably be with us for a really long time. And so to, to, to not, I mean, one of the things I like about this description of this cycle is that it describes in human terms what we all share in terms of how suffering is created. And so it kind of normalizes it. It's like, okay, this is happening. And I'm a human being. Of course this is happening. So the, the and yet the, with the understanding or the curiosity about in adding um, wisdom and investigation and being mindful of it. Possibly beginning to see something new happen around this conditioning. So the, uh, another place where this conditioning happens is in our own experience. So some of it just comes in with having a human body, you know, so hunger, warmth, needing those things and the movement to take care of the human organism. Some of it comes from our own experience. Like when, we, when something happens in our lives, we grow up, our conditions, you know, in various conditions, and we, we like certain things, you know, we, we, we find that when there's something that we like, something that's pleasant in our experience, and then we get it, that there's some kind of like delight there or joy or happiness that comes with the getting. So this is this is actually in the term of the of the of this teaching of dependent origination. So this, the, so there's something pleasant, and we kind of like, oh yeah, that's that's a good thing. Oh, let me get that, and so we we get it, and the getting of it brings some kind of feeling of ha, ah, that feels good. I got that, and so because of that. We get that thing. It feels good. That itself is like, oh, this is how happiness happens. This is how I feel good. When I get something, that's where I feel good. And so much of our experience in our lives has reinforced that. It's reinforced that when I get those things that I like, and this can be, it might be some material thing in the world, some pleasant uh, kind of, you know, drink or food or some pleasant kind of physical experience in the world. Might be that, or it might be some pleasant kind of identity or um, kind of almost a state, a life state. Uh, so it might be, you know, being respected feels pleasant or it might be that being um, being loved uh, might be um, 
doing something well, accomplishing something, you know. So, so again, so these things happen to us when we are loved. There is a pleasantness to that, and yet then there can be this neediness. It's like, okay, so that's where I find happiness. I need to get somebody to love me, or I need to have somebody respect me. I need to have somebody believe what I think, you know, to have somebody think about me the way I'd like them to think about me. That's how I would be happy. And so this is a real trap for us because, you know, so we, know, we see, actually, we can start to see in our own minds just how fleeting and fickle our thoughts are. And yet what we think You know, it's like we think in some ways that our happiness depends on upon our convincing or having other people think certain things about us. That is such a trap that we feel that we it has to that that our happiness has to be reliant on what other people think. So again, when we get people to think the way we want them to think or, we get, or, or they do think the way we'd like them to or they respect us and say things like that, that feels good. And again, in our lives, when we've had that kind of a, an experience, that is, is one of the places where we feel like that's happiness. And so much in our lives, these, these, ways, this, these ways of happiness, of getting the material pleasant, getting rid of material unpleasant, having people think about us in a certain way, having certain kinds of um, relationships in our lives or identities that we feel good about, you know, that is where we have found happiness. And because it's been the major source of happiness in our lives, it's like our minds kind of believe that's as good as it gets. That's where happiness comes from. And that's, again, the cycle. This cycle. Because the... um, when we have when when we have this 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 cycle happening um, so again we've we've kind of gone through some of the links so I'll come back and point to them so so based on feeling something pleasant unpleasant there's craving we want the pleasant we want to get rid of the unpleasant we tend to cling so that that intensification we reach out for to get or act in ways that will have us get either some material pleasant thing, get rid of some material unpleasant thing, or to act in ways to convince other people to think about us the way we'd like them to. So all of our actions become shaped by this kind of um, pattern or by this uh, habit of this is where happiness comes from. And so the, um, the craving leads to clinging, and then the clinging leads to this kind of sense of, ah, got it, figured it out. This, this is becoming, this is this next link, becoming is kind of that place where we go, ah, figured this one out, feels good. So that becoming is that, uh, the place where we, we kind of go, yeah, landed, got it, know how to figure this out, 
know how to live my life. I know how to control things. It's got that kind of flavor to it. And so the, that becoming feels good. And that is one of the kind of, I think of it almost like a, it's like gravity. I was just thinking about the way, the way they, they, they launch things into space. You know, they, they send uh, something up and then they use like the gravity of the planets to kind of spin them further. You know, so it's kind of like the, the pattern is launched and then it gets to becoming. And it's like, that's a planet with a lot of gravity because it's like, oh yeah, whew, that's the way to go. That feels good, figured it out. And it's like, that just spins us right back through the cycle. And so it, it creates its own gravity in effect, this, this, uh, this, this chain, this cycle. Because having that, Having that pleasure, essentially, when, when we get to that place of feels good, got what I wanted, the, the, the rest of the links in the chain basically point to this. It's like the law of impermanence comes to play, comes into play. As soon as we think we've got something or controlled something, it starts changing conditions start changing and inevitably whether sooner or later there will be loss either of that material thing or of the state the identity will crumble and there'll be suffering because we have felt like that was how I I was happy and so there'll be the, the loss of that and a little bit of maybe a feeling of being bereft. <sighs> what do I do now? And again, the, the habit of mind in that what do I do now space, and often that what do I do now space is not noticed. It's just like immediately, it's like almost even before we get to that what do I do now space, it's like, oh, that felt good. Where can I get another one? Where can I have that feeling again? And so that becomes a kind of a driver. That, that becoming, that sense of, yeah, figured it out, got it. And the, the understanding or the recognition of, yeah, that's not going to last forever. So better start building the next moment. Better start finding the next thing. And so what do we do there? We actually start looking for something to want. We look for something to crave because the last time we felt good was when we got something that we wanted. And we can't conceive of any other way to feel good. We, we haven't really had the experience of another way to feel a kind of happiness. And so we think that's as good as it gets. And so this is that, it's as good as it gets cycle. We are we we be, we kind of get trapped in that because we we don't have the either the understanding or somebody hasn't pointed out to us. Hey, there's another way, and this is what the Buddha is actually doing with this teaching. He's pointing out to us: this is the habit, and there is another way. So the the this cycle tends to reinforce itself if we don't become aware of it, and if we don't begin to recognize some things about this cycle. 
And so some of the things to notice here as we, as we start. So, so that's where I'm going to stop talking about. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back now and revisit this, like the, the feeling and craving a little bit. This feeling, craving, clinging, becoming. That's that piece. So typically in that time when we're like have something pleasant that we're going for, we are living not in the actual experience in the moment. We are uh, living in an idea of how great it's going to be when I get that thing. And we are not noticing, we are not noticing that the craving itself already feels tight, tense, constricted. Because we are living in that idea of, oh, two seconds in the future or five days in the future, whenever I get that thing, it'll be good. We are missing the suffering that's coming with that craving. And this is partly the wisdom or the, 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 as mindfulness begins to notice that, begins to recognize, oh, the craving itself is painful. That's a key bit of wisdom. Because essentially, the, one of the key kind of spirals through this, the, en- the, the kind of another one of the engines that drives this cycle is that we don't notice that craving is already painful. And we believe that, that thought, that future thought, that it'll be great when I get that thing. Well, there may be a moment of happiness when we get that thing, but we are missing. It's like we are, we are willing to forego ease and happiness here and now for some idea of happiness in the future. And this, beginning to see this, is a key place of beginning to unwind this chain. And I'll have to continue next time. So thank you for your attention.